people. This week at work, uh, I got a friend of mine at work, and this guy's a, a real outgoing guy, real good sense of humor, just an easy guy to get along with, and we've happened to build a good relationship while I've been there at work. Um, and he, um, Catholic background, but right now he's at the point, he's about mid-30s, and he's at the point in his life where he's just, he's thinking about a lot, and he's just like struggling with a lot, because he's just seeing things, and hearing things that's not really quite adding up. So he's like, man, what is it like, you know, just really dealing with what does it mean to be a Christian and like a Catholic and how does that fit in and just a lot of questions. So we talk a lot and uh, he's real sarcastic too and so, you know, we joke around a lot and have a lot of fun and during one study hall uh, last week, was it last week or this week? I think it was really this week. Uh, we were talking and it was just one of those conversations where like, you know, you pray to God and you ask, hey, use me today and, you know, in whatever capacity, bring some kind of conversation up. Hopefully something will develop and come somewhere. And there's one of those conversations, you know, we're in study hall or watching this whole cafeteria full of kids and, you know, there it goes. Boom. Conversation time. And all of a sudden we just get, we get into it. You know, I was sharing with him how Julie was pregnant and we started talking about stuff and, um, and he goes, well, are you, you going to raise your kids up to be Christian? And I said, yeah. And, uh, he goes, uh, I said, are you going to raise your kids up, you know, to be Catholic? I said, you know, is there even a difference? And he's like, oh, I'm definitely going to be Catholic, definitely going to be Catholic. And I was like, definitely. I said, you know, why, why definitely? I said, you, you don't even really buy into this thing. I was like, at least I buy into it. Like, I'm, I'm pretty committed to it and I take it seriously. You're sort of on the fence. He's like, well, I just want to make sure that they have some, some good foundation, know a little bit about ethics and morals. And when they get older, they can make their own choices. And, and from that conversation... We got into all kinds of stuff. And part of what we got into is a little bit what we'll talk about today. We'll talk about like the church and missions work and what all that means, what is a missionary, um, all kinds of stuff. But from the, his angle, from his perspective, it was, you know, he, tell, he comes out and tells me, he says, you know, Murph, he goes, it's wrong if you try and just go reach people all over the globe and try and help them out. He said, that's wrong. And I'm like, you know, and I'm just trying to figure out where he's coming from. Because he's kind of scatterbrained too, you know. He's sort of random abstract kind of guy. Sometimes you meet those people that's just like trying to have a continuous thought. And they're just like, boom, boom, boom. And so you're like trying to like absorb it and stay there. And so he goes, you know, that's wrong. And I'm like, well, okay, they're wrong. So what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you should stay. He said, this is right. He's like, he told me what's right and wrong. It's really funny. It's really adamant. He goes, it's right if you stay within your friends and within your family and like within your circle of people. And I'm like, okay, so you're meaning like it's right that it's a good thing that you try and help out and be selfless with your family, friends, and the circle of people? I said, yeah, the circle of people. I said, so you're saying like it's wrong to go, you know, to India or Africa and go help out and like do some kind of deeds or something like that? And he goes, yes. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. I was like, okay, I, th I think I know where he's going with this. He goes, yes, that's wrong. And I said, so, and he starts trying to like explain it. He's kind of like, like I said, random kind of abstract. I'm like, all right. I'm like, so I just kind of freeze him. I said, so if you're saying that it's wrong for someone who's like a Christ follower, a Christian, to purposely ignore the needs that are in their own community, that are in their own backyard, and just all of a sudden just shove off somewhere else, and I really pay attention to those people. I said, if that's what you're saying, like, I'm with you on that. I said, yeah, I mean, that, that's a problem. You shouldn't just ignore that stuff and just take off over there. 
I said, because even if you recognize the needs around you, that could bring you somewhere else and go over there. And so I said, your little circle, you know, will get expanded. I said, but, you know, it's wrong just to uh, ignore the people that are right in front of you. And he didn't say anything. He just leaned back and smiled. I said, yep. He said, yeah, Murph. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. So we, we talked, you know, a lot about, you know, mission, but that's where his mind and his perspective was. It was like, you know, there's a lot of needs here in America. You know, let's be honest. There's a lot of needs, a lot of people that struggle. And, you know, what a Christian meant way back when is kind of foggy now at best. Foggy now at best. Like, what exactly is a Christian? What do they follow? What do they believe? How do they carry it out? What does it look like? And a lot of people have a lot of different questions regarding that. And so, uh, and that's where he's at. And, uh, you know, with that conversation, it was as far as about helping other people and being selfless. And so we'll look at some of that today. We'll look at missionaries. What's the call of a missionary? What exactly even is a missionary? Um, is it needed? Um, all kinds of different things. Where it started from. I like these kind of passages because I like seeing the roots of things. You know, we're in 2011 now. The world's been around for a long time. A lot of things have developed. A lot of, things, a lot of trends. A lot of things have happened. I know what stuff looks like now. I know what missions kind of looks like now. You know, people go somewhere, they go help somebody, they had, you know, and that's what they go do. You know, what did it really look like from the very beginning? Like, who was the first ones to do it? What did they do? What was that set up? What was that scenario? And the book of Acts is really neat. It's pretty cool because we get to see a lot of firsts. We see the first time the Holy Spirit comes down. We see the first time the birth of the church. Uh, we see the first martyr, really, within the church. Uh, we see the first time the church is brought to a new group of people. We see a lot. So today we're going to see the first really missionary experience. And so it uh, should be pretty interesting. So if you got your Bible, uh, Acts 13. And uh, we got, yeah, the church and the missions is what we'll title it today. So Acts 13, if you got it. And uh, we'll pick up in verse 1. We left off in chapter 12, if you remember. Peter escaping from prison, right? James died. He preserved Peter for some reason, and we talked a little, a little bit last week about how does that happen, and why did that happen, and we focused a lot last week on faith and doubt, and how are the two related, and is that okay? And we closed up chapter 12 with uh, Herod, King Herod, the first, Herod Agrippa I dying there, and uh, the word really began to spread. So, chapter 13, verse 1, says, In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers... And then we got the names of who these guys are. So the original church at Antioch. We talked about this last time. Antioch was like, it's basically going to be the new home base, the new home church for Saul and all his missionary work. Right? Because they had the church in Jerusalem. We talked about this before. They had the church in Jerusalem where all the, really, the Jews were and the apostles and that's where they started. And like this church in Antioch becomes a big, huge player on the scene. And really it becomes Saul, who we'll find out today, now finally become, his name is Paul after this point in time. Paul, this is his home base for all his missionary stuff. So it becomes a big church. So he's, here's the guys that were involved. They're prophets and teachers. We have Barnabas, right? We all know about Barnabas. He's been an active part in the book of Acts. Simeon, called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Uh, Menaean, uh, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch. And Saul, bless you. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So you have in the very beginning, 
Who do we have in the church? We've got prophets and we've got teachers. So I think on the next slide we have them over here. And really prophets, teachers, what's the difference? These are the guys that are really at the core, at the center of the church there. Prophets, they really foretold the stuff that God was going to do. They had this gift from the Spirit and the Spirit would just like speak to them and tell them a future thing, a foretelling of what was going to happen. And we saw a little bit about that if you remember from Acts, I think it was chapter 11, Remember that kind of closed up with this guy called Agabus, right? He kind of randomly shows on the scene. And this guy, Agabus, comes on the scene. And what he does at the church at Antioch, he says, there's going to be a severe famine. Something's coming through the land. It's going to be really bad. And uh, because of that, they actually take up an offering. And they brought that offering back to Jerusalem. And so he was a prophet, right? Kind of a guy that was involved in the church. And then you have the teachers. These teachers grounding them in the doctrines of the faith. Right? And so that's what happens a lot of times nowadays. Well, I don't even know a lot of times nowadays, but that's the ideal that you'd like to have happen. Right? Teachers on Sunday mornings that can help ground everybody in the doctrines of the faith to just really help pour that foundation of Christ into their lives and really help to establish what does it look like? How do I help to live it out? You know, that's why we really like the Calvary Chapel model because it's strong on the teaching model as far as going through um, the Bible and what's really in it. And we talked about before that Tozer, you know, a famous quote of Tozer was that it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Right? Not just looking at certain parts, but looking at the whole thing together as a whole because then you get a good counsel as far as what God's character is really like, how He really deals with people. So you have these two guys in the church and I think on the next slide we have, uh, you know, out of the Bible, what does the Bible say about prophets and teachers? And uh, in Ephesians it talks about how God arranges people, New Testament now, as far as people with the gifts. So it says, and it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, right? The apostles really like in Jerusalem. You had these prophets that were also in Jerusalem and Antioch. Some to be evangelists, right? We like, or I like to think of them as guys who close the deal. Evangelists have some pretty exciting lives a lot of times. It's like God has been working on people's hearts. He's been bringing things to their minds. been bringing about questions. Um, so I'm thinking about like my friend at work and a couple other people. And he's like at that stage where he's dealing with stuff. And so who knows if an evangelist, right? We all have sort of a ministry of evangelism where we try and do that. But who knows if like an evangelist were to come along and close the deal. They have some fun, you know. That's just people just committing their lives right then and there. And just stuff opens up. So you have evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, which is what I like to do, just like to teach and just open stuff up. Can't think of nothing better than trying to understand better as far as what God has for us. Like, what's better than that? To prepare. Why are they doing this stuff? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Right? The whole idea behind all of this with the prophets and the teachers that are there is to build all of it up. Not to divide one way going over here, one guy going over there. It's just to bring everybody together. The body of Christ, the church with the big C, until we reach all unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Right? That's the idea. That was the goal behind all of this. Having everybody work together. You got the prophets, the teachers, um, apostles in that case, where they're together and the idea is just to build the body up. Help us get mature together to understand together. Have it be influential in their lives. And so when these people, right, we pick up in verse 2, they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, right? This is kind of a cornerstone of what they're doing at their church. 
A lot of times we read and we see them busy. What are they busy doing? They're praying and they're fasting and just asking God, what do we do? Because really they, they didn't have a model. They didn't... I'm sure you've been at places in life where it's just like, I don't have much experience in this area and I'm really not quite sure what to do. Prime time for God, right, to intervene and just when your only option is Him, it's not a bad place to be. It might seem pretty horrible, but it's not a bad place to be. So while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So how did the first missionary start? Where did it come from? Where did the idea come from? And you know, we're never going to find that word in the Bible. The missionary is just not even in the Bible. It's not in there. It's just something that kind of we came up with and it's pretty applicable. Right? We're kind of going on a mission. A mission what? To do God's work. And that's what happened here. It says, Set apart for Barnabas and Saul for the work, that's their mission, to which I've called them. That's how it started. They're just praying. They're fasting. Just seeking God. Not knowing what might come out of that. And the Spirit spoke. How did He speak to them? How did He tell them? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. I'm curious about those details, but we just don't get them. Just don't get them. You know, I'd like to know. It would be helpful. Like God slipped me that one. You know, what is that? I can be on the lookout for that one. You know? But, must not be that important. The Holy Spirit spoke. Set them apart. And so after they had fasted and prayed some more, what did they do? They put their hands on them, right? They commissioned them. Or if you're in the church for a little bit of time, it's called a commission. A lot of times when you send people out, you lay your hands on them. Well, why do they do that? Well, that was kind of the model right in the very beginning. They lay their hands on them. They pray for them. Commission them. Send them off. So there really wasn't any you know, missionary services uh, at this time. There wasn't any agencies. Um, not that those things are wrong. Uh, but this is really grassroots, you know, just really getting started. First missionary trip birthed out of prayer and fasting. And so many things in life that are essential are birthed out of prayer and fasting. I mean, that whole dynamic in the church of them doing that as a corporate church, not just for church, also in our own lives. When Jesus talks about those type of topics, He goes, when you fast, you know, because that... The assumption was that it was a part of regular, everyday life. When you're fasting, when you're praying, it was just something you just normally do. It's just like brushing your teeth. Like, you know, it's just like regular thing, that's what you do. So we pick up on verse 4. It says, the two of them, right, who were the two guys? Barnabas and... Barnabas and Saul, right? So the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, right, all these kind of random places, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. So I think we have a map probably on the next slide. I'm not sure. Do we have it? Yeah. So on the map here, what they did is uh, down here, in, so in Syria, which is like kind of present-day Turkey, uh, down over there. You have Jerusalem way over here. Syria over there. You've got Cyprus over here. Antioch was their church. That's where they're at. They sail over here to Cyprus. And I'm going to cheat a little bit. Ephesus over here. Laodicea over here. Um, Derby over here. I'm picking out all these biblical terms because that's where Paul does a lot of his work. It was really right in this whole area over here. So why did they choose to go over there? Well... A lot of people think it's because 
Barnabas was from there. Barnabas was actually from that area. I think on the slide before, if we can take a look at that one, can we take a look at the slide before? That'd be good. Yeah, on the slide before, we found out in Acts chapter 4 that this guy Joseph, right, who's also Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus, right? Well, there we go. That's probably why he went over there. Whom the apostles called Barnabas sold the field and brought the apostles' feet, right? So that's probably why they went there. He probably wants to reach his friends, reach his families, and say, hey, let's spread this thing. Let's tell everybody about it. And it said that uh, they took John as their helper. And so John is really John Mark, the guy who wrote the book of Mark. That's who that guy is. And they're actually cousins. So Barnabas, John Mark, they're cousins, right? They're related. So it's all kind of the church is pretty neat. You know, you have all these family dynamics also at the same time happening. You know, a lot of the church is really starting. And they're just bringing it to their family, their friends, whoever will, whoever will listen to them. And so they would bring it into the Jewish synagogues uh, and they would proclaim it there. So let's jump down. Verse 6. It says, They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer. So this is kind of weird. They meet this guy who's a Jewish sorcerer. You usually don't find a Jewish sorcerer because in their own law, like, you can't do stuff like that. Usually you'd find a Gentile probably doing that, somebody who wasn't Jewish. So you have this mystic, this sorcerer, and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, interesting name, who is an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. So you have Bar-Jesus, who's a sorcerer, uh, and he was an attendant of this proconsul. The proconsul was an intelligent man. He sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So you have this guy who's the head of the proconsul, and he's curious about this message that they're talking about. So they're like, hey, go get them. Go get Saul and go get Barnabas. It says, but Elimus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So basically, this guy wants to see him. He's curious about the message. And the sorcerer guy catches one of it, and he's like, no, no, no. And he's just trying to pervert uh, everything that they say and really trying to badmouth it and turn him, like it says, from the faith. So in verse 9, so this from here on out, after verse 9, we don't really call him Saul anymore. He's just Paul from here on out after that. So then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, he just gives it to him right here. No holding back, no holding punches. I don't think he really cared about his feelings too much at this point. He goes, you're a child of the devil. Mm-hmm. Boom, right? And an enemy of everything that is right. Ouch. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. So he gives it to him both barrels right then and there. I guess it was appropriate time for that. Sometimes in life you've got to give it to them both barrels and hopefully you're being led and guided by the Holy Spirit so you're not really messing something up. Right? But in this case, you're a child of the devil. You're full kinds of all kinds of enemy of deceit and trickery. And it's kind of a parallel story. Remember that other sorcerer guy remember we heard about from before? Remember earlier on in that, uh, Peter and Simon the sorcerer and that kind of whole story. So there's a little bit of a parallel there where, you know, Satan's trying to get these other guys in there and just trying to divide up and mess things up. Satan's always good at trying to put a wedge in and just trying to screw stuff up. You can always count on him for that. So it says, Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. 
When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed where he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And so you have a very similar situation where someone tries to come on the scene, really Satan behind it, intending for harm, trying to turn someone from the faith, and it does the exact opposite. This guy comes to believe because he's like, oh man, the power of God is real. He just made this guy blind and he couldn't do anything about it. This sorcerer, this mystic, he's got no power over this other power that's coming in. I'm with those guys. I'm with those guys. So some pretty interesting stuff. And let's talk a little bit about the mission stuff because this is really the first time that we see missions work and somebody being sent and we don't even really know exactly what the mission is really in the beginning. It just said, hey, go send them out. It doesn't say, hey, go here, do this, talk to these people, blah, 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 blah. We don't know any of that stuff. So I think uh, maybe a couple slides after this one. Let's see. First question I think is relevant and should be able to be brought up and I think was what my friend struggled with at work. And it's a legitimate question. You know, why go overseas with such a need at home? And we do. We got needs at home, right? I mean, there are people here that are starving, right? They're in the streets. They're looking for their next meal. Homeless. Um, you know, the term Christian still kind of understand in a lot of different places and people are trying to figure it out and what does that exactly mean? Well, one answer I think on the, on the next slide here is we'll say that it's not a matter of choice, right? That blank is there intentionally, right? It's not a matter of choice, really, of what we can do, where to go, but it's a matter of obedience, right? That's what goes in there in the blank there. It's really a matter of obedience. Because if you look, and, and you can look maybe later on this week or later on today when you get a chance in Matthew there and in Mark and in Luke, the main theme and the essential theme is there, it's go. Matthew 20 and 19, he says, go into all the nations, right? And proclaim the good news. Go tell them. So God like actually commanded us and told us, hey, go tell people about this stuff. Now you could go overseas and go tell them. And you could do this in a variety of ways, right? Now in 2011, the kind of the cool thing that has happened is that there are all different types of missionaries, right? You could go, I've been on sports ministries where you kind of use sports as your platform because you get a big crowd, you know, and then you could tell them about the good news and do that stuff. You can just go on a kind of a straight mission trip where um, you go to a village or some sort of area and you just try and help and meet whatever needs there are or work at an orphanage, do anything. Uh, we got a couple guys over here that went to the DR and they went there and they helped build houses and uh, help get clean water. Uh, there's also medical trips. We have someone working on trying to get onto a medical trip right now where they can do nursing and do different things. I mean, there's all types of ways to do it. But the need is also here too. People also need to hear about really the truth of Jesus Christ and what the gospel really means here in America. I mean, I don't think it's really all that clear as to exactly what it means to believe the Bible and to really be a Christian. What is that even? If we were just to go out right now with the camera and just ask a bunch of people, we're going to get a whole bunch of different types of answers. And we might be all over the spectrum. And that's just in Naugatuck. And then maybe we'll go down south. And then maybe we'll go out west. And we're just going to get all kinds of different things. So it's a matter of obedience. That's really why we do it and really why we go out. So the next thing that we have on here, I think it's on the next slide, right? Is missions is really the work of, and this kind of plays into the last slide too, missions is really the work of relationships. 
It's really the work of relationships, meeting people, getting to know them, and seeing what's really going on. So like this term missionary and going out and doing things, yeah, some people probably, you know, they actually leave their house, they go somewhere, and they go stay with the people and help meet their needs. But, really, it's a mission field every day, wherever you're at. I mean, God has strategically placed us wherever we are, and it's a mission field every day to help meet needs, to, to tell people and really proclaim like what God and Jesus and the Bible, what all this stuff is really all about. So the mission field is really everywhere. It's not just set apart for those guys over there and they just have to you know, do their work over there. The mission field is really the work of relationships and building up strong relationships, taking an interest in the person for who they really are and not just as a project. That's where the work really is. On the next one, we have another fill-in here, right? Christian missions work is, right? The word to go in there is frontline. It's really frontline work. Like, you're literally on the front lines of what's going on and what's happening. There are some missions groups and agencies where literally you have to sign over your life until you go over there. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day. Uh, you know, if I wasn't married, life was different, wasn't married, wasn't really attached to anything, I don't know if there's any place else I'd rather be. Why wouldn't you want to be on the front lines? Like, it'd be nice to, you know, see what that's all about. What a way to go out than right on the front lines, not knowing if tomorrow is even guaranteed. All of a sudden, all this Christian Bible stuff is really real. And that's all you got. Because now you're trying to go into a territory that's not really... God's territory, per se, right? He owns everything, but it's not really dominated by Him. There's these other thoughts, these other ways, other religions. That's what dominates that area. And you're trying to come in and fight this battle and share with them a whole other way of life, a whole other truth. And it's an actual battle going on. It's actual war that's happening, whether we know it or not. And that's the whole point the passage in Ephesians 6, right? We're not battling flesh and blood, but it's actually more than that. Powers and principalities, even though you can't even really see it or sense it sometimes. Although, many of those guys who sign their lives over and go out to those places, well, they can sense and see a whole heck of a lot. And there's like unbelievable things that take place. Why is that? I don't know. I don't know, but there's something certainly to be said for the miraculous works of God on the front lines being brought to a place where it's never seen it before. Because they have no idea about the Bible. You can't be like, oh, just look in the Bible here and let's talk about Jesus. So what do they respond to? They respond to miraculous works that are done and the power of God. That's how He gets their attention. And that's what we see in the early book, in the, in the early church. With Acts, when Peter hears, heals the crippled guy, Simon is also doing all these miraculous powers, you have these sorcerers being like, what is going on? Well, what did they do? They brought the power because that's what got their attention. And then they respond to this good news of Jesus Christ. On the next slide here, we have, I think it's on the next one. This guy, we've put this book up here several times. We talk about him. Um, we give to him as a church when we can. It's fun at Christmas time because they have what's called a Christmas catalog and we talked about this before. You could give like chickens, you could give pigs, you could give like clean water, fishing nets, all really practical things that these people need over in India. 
And um, one section in his book talks about uh, missions and as far as like the way it is right now today and what his perspective is. He's a guy that grew up in India and got saved from some missionaries over there. Came over here to the Americas, really kind of got educated, learned about the Bible, learned about the faith. Went back over there and now has this organization called Gospel for Asia. Been around for I think it's 26 years. And they've opened up Bible colleges over there and they have reached their own people. And so a couple things that stick out uh, as we're talking about this mission stuff is one thing is, he says, you know, when you're over there and you look into a child's eyes, it's about to die of hunger. And you see the pain that they're going through. He said that you know, when you look in their eyes, he said, you could give them water, give them some food, and he helped meet that need for a little while. He said, but I'm telling you, he said, when you look in their eyes, you can tell that the power of Satan is at work and his hand is in the middle of this thing. And he said, so we can go over with Red Cross, we can go over with UNICEF, if we can try and donate some things. He said, but this is not purely a carnal, flesh, physical issue. It's not taking care of what's really going on. Where in his opinion, and my opinion as well, Satan is really in control of that area in those people. That's what he believes is really going on. And so is he saying he's against the Red Cross and against UNICEF? No. Saying, well, you've got to meet those needs. But he's saying the best way and what you want to do is get to the root of the thing. Why address all the symptoms? Get to the root of it. And the root of it is Jesus Christ. Because he says that and supplement, to supplement that story, when the power of Jesus Christ comes into a village and he's got countless stories. When it comes into a village and the people are still hungry, you know, they still have needs and stuff. But now a joy comes, a peace comes, and then now there's a uh, hundred more stories about how God works and meet those needs little by little by little. But a whole attitude and mindset is changed. A lot of times there's like a whole heaviness that's lifted. And a lot of times there's miraculous things that take place. And so it's a big difference between just a social kind of helping mission trip, just trying to help and do nice things, and coming in there with the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's one thing that we struggle with in 2011 a lot of times is we want to certainly go out and help people and be there for them. And that's a good thing, but it becomes tough because you also want to give them the truth too. You want to give them the truth too. And in his opinion, one of the biggest things that he pushes in his book is he said that he's seen it being the most successful in his experience. It's been the most successful in India and parts of China and this whole thing called the, the 1040 window, which is basically just the area that he's in that's really the least evangelized part uh, of our planet Earth. He says that the most successful type of missionaries that have been there and have really worked well and you've just seen God just take over is his own people. His own people. People that they know. People that also don't have shoes. People that also don't know where the next meal is coming from. People where, you know, they have the same needs and struggles. He's noticed that, yes, sometimes the white Western American comes over there and helps out a little bit, but it just doesn't go as far. It's not quite the impact. Um, he's seen his own brothers and sisters. That's what really transforms his area. And so his big thing is indigenous ministries, just doing that stuff. And that is certainly not to say 
that God doesn't call us to go places and do things and serve and help. Not at all saying that, because if God is speaking to your heart and He's asking you to go somewhere and do something, you absolutely have to do that. Have to do that. But just within His book and based on His experience, that's what He sees. And He sees us as the Western Church. He's like, please, pray for us. Back us financially. Fuel us with supplies. And man, we want to carry the truth to our people. They're our people. We love them. We really know who they are. What type of people they really are. What they struggle with. What the problems are. What the difficulties are. And so it's a good book. So uh, you can actually get the book for free too, right? From his website. I'll just send it to you. Um, he's got a couple other things for free on there too. But pretty interesting perspective as far as missions go and what that's all about. And so uh, we'll close with this. We'll close with this as far as mission goes. Because this came up when I was talking to my friend. Right? We started off with my friend at work. We'll close with my friend at work. Um, so his big thing was, he's like, Murph, you want to be selfless, right? And I said, yeah, you know, I definitely. He's like, isn't that the goal of Christianity, to be selfless and, and not to live for yourself and, you know, to be a good Christian? And I said, yeah. I said, it's important. You definitely, he's like, wasn't that what the cross is all about? I said, yeah, you know, you're right, definitely. You want to be selfless. Um, so he goes, he goes, you know, you're telling me that if I, right, which right away you know that he's not doing it, but it's just a situation that a hypothetical he could make up, and if within that hypothetical he could sort of find an issue with God's maybe fairness and justice, he can, you know, create a problem. So he goes, if I were to be really selfless and to consistently help out, you know, in my community and try and help out my friends and volunteer at homeless shelters and uh, donate as much as I can. He said, you're telling me that when I sit before the big guy, that this loving God is going to send me right to hell. You know, he doesn't pull any punches. You know, he wants to get right to the issue here. And that's always a popular question. Whenever you watch the news and they have like Franklin Graham come on or they have some other Christian guy come on, man, the first thing they hit him with, you know, well, do you believe that uh, if you don't accept Jesus Christ, you know, you're going to hell? You know, they just they go right for it, right for it. And so we're talking, so I'm with my friend, and uh, I said, listen, I said, if that's the case, you did all those deeds, and I said, the only thing I will add to your story is that if you did those deeds, and you had an opportunity to like accept God and Jesus for who He was, and you ignored that, and you still did those deeds, I said, you're absolutely going to go to hell. So as the Bible says, I said, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. So what it says, he really appreciates that too. Like he likes it, you know, he wants to hear it. He wants to hear it. Which I think a lot of people want to hear it. They're tired of the BS, you know, the runaround. They want to hear it. So he goes, okay, fine. He goes, but why is that? You know, why? He said, you could do all those deeds, but that's going to count for nothing. And, you know, then we could get into, you know, going through the Bible and talking from Isaiah about how your good works are like filthy rags and get all that stuff, you know. But he doesn't want to hear a lot of peripheral stuff, you know. He just wants to get right to it. I said, you know, listen, uh, the main issue is sin. And I said, you can't skirt around that stuff. And I said, you brought up the cross. You brought up Jesus Christ. I said, he went there for this thing called sin. And it's a huge, huge problem. And I said, you can't take care of the sin issue by just doing all these good things. I said, you can't do it. I said, you got to have, if God has spoken to someone and really made himself real to them, right? Because we could even talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. And it just, for whatever reason, could not really sink in. They just might not grasp it. 
But God, it says in the Bible that He does the work on their hearts and He's really speaking to them and talking to them. And if at some point in time, He's talking to those, to that person, to that individual, and revealing Himself to them, and they're just like, nah, I just don't want it. And none of us can ever know when that happens for somebody else. That's like a working of the heart, and that's just, we, we can't touch that stuff. Only God knows that stuff. And so if somebody ignores, ignores that part, you know, then they're in trouble. But, um... I think that went a long way with him. You know, I planted the seed because, you know, the closing statement was, well, you can do all this good stuff, you know, and be selfless. Be selfless, which is really almost at the heart of missions. Missions is not just to be selfless and help other people and give them a better life. It's to also save them. That's what Jesus' message is about. He didn't go around just trying to just feed everybody. He didn't go around, yes, he, all, he fed people, he healed people. He helped them out. All with the focus on, many times he would say, hey, just be happy your sins are forgiven right now. That's the main issue that we're talking about. And that's how he got into the beef with the Pharisees. And he said, well, what's easier? To say, be healed, or say your sins are forgiven. And I'm like, man, both those things are pretty hard to say. I don't know how you say either of them. You know, but the main issue is always the sin thing. The sin thing, the sin thing, right? So, uh, so let's stand and, and then we'll close together in prayer. So I